0: Oh, good morning. How are y'all doing? Oh, man, so good to see y'all. So good to be back. Uh, Man, uh, if you've been with us for the past couple of weeks, you've seen another dude up here preaching. His name is Nathaniel Summers. He serves as our missions director. I am not him. And uh, he did such a phenomenal job really preaching and being faithful to preaching the Word of God over the last three weeks, finishing our series on uh, something that we called revival, renewal in the ordinary, and he did such an incredible job. Yeah, totally. Uh, Give him a big hand. So Nathaniel serves as a, as, a, as a missions director here at Storehouse McAllen. My name is Marco. I am the preaching and teaching pastor here for Storehouse McAllen. And I uh, man, I'm just so glad and happy to be back home. Uh, my family and I got to have some time off, and, uh, and, and, and so we took it and ran. And uh, we, we were gone uh, for a couple of things. One, for some time off. Two, for some uh, church planning stuff within our network called Acts 29, and uh, as, as we were kind of getting ready for today, uh, th- that's been the, the most amount of Sundays that I've gone without, without preaching, so it's kind of weird. Uh, I feel really nervous, like it's my first time, and so I hope you extend me that grace. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, we prayed for y'all, we missed y'all, um, and, uh, and so I kind of just want to dive into our time so that I don't spend a lot of time rambling, though I'm sure I will uh, this morning, uh, if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn to john chapter twenty and uh, and as you do that i 'll go ahead and as i' pretty much do what i said i wouldn 't i 'll ramble uh, a little bit um, and so before we get started if if you are new here uh, in the rows uh, that you 're seated in, there are these connect cards man i 'd encourage you to fill one out. Uh, man, you can learn more about what it means to serve. You can learn more about who we are. You can submit prayer requests. As the offering baskets go down later on this, uh, this morning, um, you can you can drop those in there and someone will get with you. But more so than anything, we'd love to hang out with you. Further, if you do not have a Bible, there are also Bibles in the rows for you. Pick one up. That's our gift to you. Bless someone else. Hook them up with a Bible. Today, we're going to be starting a new sermon series. On the Apostles' Creed, and actually, I'd, I'd pause really. Quickly, and I'd be remiss to say um, so. As Nathaniel preached and really took carry off for the past three weeks, I would encourage you to pray for him and his wife as they're taking some time off to do two things one, to get some rest uh, over the summer, but also, number two, uh, to, to, to raise funds. Him and his wife both serve as missionaries down here in McAllen, so be praying for them as they find rest and recovery, but at the same time, as they travel and meet with individuals and in churches. Up north. Um, so, with all that being said, we're starting a new sermon series on the Apostles' Creed. And uh, I'm really excited for it. We're going to find ourselves in this uh, historic. Confessional for the next 10 to 12 weeks. Um, And I would probably imagine that as we first started talking or releasing stuff about the Apostles' Creed, uh, oftentimes what tends to happen is eyebrows tend to get raised. Like, what about, what do you mean, the Apostles' Creed? And you could uh, probably guess as to why it might raise some eyebrows. Maybe some of you come from the Roman Catholic tradition, and maybe this is something that you had to learn and had to recite. Uh, Maybe if you, maybe you come from a denomination, something like Lutherans or even Presbyterians, where where this was kind of a part of something that you did, maybe growing up, you had to recite it, Um, you had to do this in certain classes, so on and so forth. However, the Apostles' Creed is actually rooted in something much, much deeper than, than both of those. This certainly is a historic confession of faith, and we're going to talk a little bit about it this morning before jo- diving into John chapter 20. And so if you're new, you'll notice I like to walk through several points because that just keeps me organized, but at the same time, that's just how my brain functions. And so the first thing that I want to walk through concerning the Apostles' Creed is really going to be answering the question, well, what is the Apostles' Creed? Uh, There might be some misconceptions, and there might be some things that maybe you didn't know about, so I'd like to walk through them briefly. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. I'm also not going to spend a lot of time talking about why behind the Apostles, the why behind the Apostles' Creed. Uh, We'll release, or I'll release some of that on, on my personal blog. You can read that if you'd like. But when it comes to the what behind the Apostles' Creed, here's just a couple of snippets concerning this historic confession. The first one is that the Apostles' Creed is actually one of the oldest confessions of faith, dating all the way back to about the third century. Now, it is a rendition of an older creed that was once known as the Old Roman Creed, or the Roman Creed. It was one of those two names in addition to a third one. eh, We won't get into that. Anyway, it was uh, a, a rendition of that original, of that older creed. And so the Apostles' Creed was not only written but affirmed around the third century. And many people actually believe, given the title, I could see why, many people actually believe that, man, this creed was actually written by the apostles themselves. Uh, historically, we can't affirm that. There's no evidence to suggest that they did write this creed. However... It is given its name as a result result of the faith that they preached to the first century church as a result of what Jesus told them to do, right? If you go back to John, or in particular, Matthew 28, Jesus tells them, right, go and make disciples. In addition to that, they spent a significant amount of time with Jesus, and so they learned a bunch from Jesus. As, they, uh, as you read through Acts, as they go and proclaim the gospel and plant churches, this is the faith that they were ultimately communicating. So the Apostles' Creed was not written by the apostles themselves, but it is the faith that they communicated. right? The Apostles' Creed is also a summary of the Christian faith. It's a summary of the gospel. And while when we read through, I should say this way, when we read through the Apostles' Creed, you're going to be able to see, or you will see, that there are several things that are essential truths within the creed. But there are several things that are also missing. Like we could talk about a bunch of other things in lieu of the Apostles' Creed. What I would say is that when it comes to the Apostles' Creed, all Christians believe more than what is said in the Creed, but none can believe less. So it is a summary of the Gospel. It is a summary of the Christian faith. Further, the Apostles' Creed was used historically in a variety of ways concerning ministry. For instance, in uh, the first and second century church, people would recite the Apostles' Creed right before they were baptized. It was almost like they were asked the questions and then they would affirm them. Do you believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth? And they would say, I believe. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They would say, I believe. It was a response. And so they would recite the Apostles' Creed before getting baptized. Additionally, the Apostles' Creed has served for thousands of years as a devotional uh, for prayer. So that would actually be something I would recommend for you. Man, if you want to walk through a devotion or a devotional, because that's cool and that's the Christian thing to do, definitely walk through the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed was used in what is called catechisms, right? It sounds fancy. It's not, not really, right? Catechism comes from the word catechize, which means to teach. So when we had or when the church had new Christians, think of it like a formal discipleship process. People would commit and surrender their lives to Jesus They would recite or affirm the Apostles' Creed before baptism. And uh, think of it like a membership 101 class. Uh, The church would walk new believers through the Apostles' Creed, giving them a summary of the faith so that they would have some basic doctrinal truths concerning the person and work of Jesus. And so that's what the Apostles' Creed is. Now, if we kind of turn the page a little bit and go to, okay, cool, got it. So why are we walking through the Apostles' Creed? Well, a couple of reasons. Number one, creeds and confessionals define truth and help us to correct error. Because they are basic summaries of doctrinal truths, what they are inevitably going to help us do is they're going to help us define the truth in, uh, in a concise manner, and they're also going to help us to correct error. That being said, confessionals and creeds are in no way equivalent to the authority of Scripture. Let me just say that right there. They are in no way equivalent to the authority of Scripture. However, they do help us by pointing us back to Scripture. So as we walk through the Apostles' Creed over the next couple of weeks, what we're going to do is allow it to take us back to the Word of God, and that's ultimately where we're going to be preaching from. Creeds teach us about what it means to worship God. One of the things that's kind of popular right now, I, th- well, I wouldn't say right now, but one of the things that is often taught, almost even embraced in many churches, particularly in our country, is, is uh, doctrine-less churches. Man, I don't want to talk doctrine. I don't want to talk theology. That's heavy, that's hard. Those are big, man, I just, I'm not a fan of it, right? What creeds do is help us to reinforce doctrinal truths that ultimately lead us To understand Jesus more, lead us to understand his word, and lead us to worship him. And so at the end of the day, if that's not your jam, I'm here to tell you what you believe matters. What you believe matters. Creeds also connect us to the historic church of saints who have gone before us. See, when we recite it, we're actually going to be standing with the saints who once said, I believe, that this ancient faith is actually rooted in the risen Christ. It was prophesied by the prophets. It was heralded by the apostles. It was preached by those in the church over 2,000 years. And so we get to join the historic church Like the Apostles' Creed isn't some cool trend that you can hashtag, right? Like the Apostles' Creed is actually rooted in the historic church of saints who have gone before us. It's kind of like, and I'll give you this example. Over the past couple of weeks, uh, when my family and I were out, we visited two other churches, right? Uh, One was in San Antonio. It's called the Well Community Church. And another one was in Albuquerque, New Mexico, called uh, North Church Albuquerque, and it was really cool going and getting to worship with brothers and sisters from a completely different city, from a completely different culture, all heralding the gospel of Jesus. And even though we didn't hang out with a lot of them, even though they have totally different stories, man, we were immediately connected because of what they were preaching. It was kind of cool being a part of what they were doing because you're like, oh man, this is, this is the church. Like, I'm not here to simply scope it out. This is us getting to be a part of the church creeds connect us to the historic church and finally when it comes to the apostles creed it's kind of a cultural thing down here in the valley right uh the roman catholic tradition is predominant and uh this tends to be something that is often recited in catechisms it is something that is a a big deal and so uh man if these are doctrinal truths that we could agree on cool i'd love to preach through it right because the apostles creed is so valley all that being said, here's the that was the what, and that was the why. With all that being said, we're going to dive into our time. So if you have your Bibles, if you just got here, once again, we're going to be in John chapter 20, beginning in verse 24. Uh, I think I'll go through verse 31, but we'll, we'll see how this all works out. Here we go. <clears throat> John writes, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin have believed. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Let's pray. God, as we dive into your word, my simple prayer it was that is that we would commit ourselves to this time to this time of worship to this time of learning <clears throat> to this time of devotion and that you holy spirit would be at work in us that you would be at work challenging us but at the same time restoring us that you would be at work in us convicting us but at the same time counseling us that you would be working in us to compel us to faith and repentance, but that you would also be comforting us with the truth of your word. God, we thank you for this opportunity to worship you. I thank you for this opportunity to preach your word. God, I pray that you would just set me aside, the Holy Spirit, that it would be you at work through me. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Man, I'm gonna be straight up, I did not miss this weather. I mean, I missed y'all. I just not I did not miss the eighty-six percent humidity, but whatever, whatever, right? Let's go. Here we go. Here's what I want you to know regarding these first two words in the Apostles' Creed. The first two words in the Apostles' Creed is "I believe." Those are the first two words. Here's the first thing that I want you to chew on, and if and if you're again, if you're new, I tend to go through sections like this is point A. Uh, Or this is point number one, and then one A, and then one B, and one C. We're not there yet. So here's one thing I want you to chew on. I want you to chew on this, that you and I cannot function without belief. Any way you slice it, wherever it is that you stand, you and I cannot function without belief. Whether it's consciously or subconsciously, we cannot function without belief. And so these two words, this phrase, I believe, raises a couple of thoughts to chew on, and it raises a question or two. Predominantly, if you and I cannot function without belief, then that makes us all believers. The question is, what is it that you believe? What is it that you believe. As we walk through the Apostles' Creed, what it's going to do is explain what we believe. As Christians, it's going to explain what we believe. The words of the Creed, again, that begin with, I believe, are words of conviction. I want you to stay with me on this. They are words of conviction that are rooted in In the truth of God's word and the work of Christ for us. I'll say that one more time because this is really important. That phrase or those two words, I believe, are words of conviction. And if they are words of conviction, then they are rooted in the truth of God's word and the work of Christ for us. See, when it should come to us, but in particular, when it came to the early Christians, I believe was not a statement of opinion, but a statement of conviction. I believe was not a statement of opinion, but a statement of conviction. One of the other reasons that we're walking through the creed is because one of the concerns I have, one of the concerns that I have is that when it comes to that phrase, I believe, We generally don't like saying it. We generally don't like saying it because once you say it, it's going to bring some tension into the room and it might even bring some discomfort. Right? I believe it's just going to kind of like, all right, this just got weird. We were just eating chips and you just made it weird. Right? Because I believe ought to come from a place of conviction. However, most, many, I should say it that way, many Christians use it as a statement of opinion. I believe ought to have conviction and confidence that comes with it. Not question or opinion or fear because now there's some tension in the room and now there's some discomfort. Discomfort. And because we fear those things, the, the tension and the discomfort, we rather not say it. And because we rather not say it, then we're not necessarily standing on conviction and confidence. And at some point, we begin to assume the gospel, which at some point begins to get watered down. All of that from two words I believe. Conviction is important for the Christian. Joe, I'm talking to you, Christians. Conviction is important because conviction is the result of something. It's the result of something that you, have, that you are standing on. It's the result of something that has been built upon. Therefore, if conviction is a result, then that immediately rules out that faith or belief is blind. Right, you've heard that. It's a leap of faith. What does that mean? That you're stepping out into the unknown. If conviction is a result of something, then that immediately rules out that belief or faith is blind, and it also rules out that belief is something that you just wake up with, that is something that you just have. Some people have it. Some people don't. Some people have the capacity for it. Some people don't. I would argue that that is false because at the end of the day, Everybody believes something. Everybody believes something. So I'd like to walk through a couple of things based on John 20. When we read through John 20, we see the word believe at least six times. So he's telling us to believe in something, so we need to break that down because that's what we do. My argument based on belief or faith, is that belief consists of three things. It consists of three things. So if you're taking notes, this is where you can take notes, right? It consists of three things. It's not the only thing that we're going to talk about, but it certainly is going to be our foundation for our time. Belief consists of three things. Let me tell you what they are, then I'll go back and walk through them. The first one is that belief consists of agreement, It consists of agreement or or knowledge or agreement on that knowledge. The second thing that it consists of is trust. And finally, the third thing that it consists of is surrender. And we're going to pull this from John 20. So agreement, trust, surrender. When we read through John 20... We are seeing a couple of things. John even says in verse 31, he goes on to say, I've written these things so that you may believe. Well, that tells us a couple of things. That tells us that at the minimum, there was a person, a man named Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is historical. Like that's a bottom line that Jesus is historical. That's the minimum. We can confirm this not just through the Bible, but we can also confirm this through extra-biblical research. Additionally, this is all under agreement, is that Jesus Christ is God as revealed in the Scriptures. Well, how do we know that? Because we can see the consistency of the Scriptures, We can see it through prophecy that is before His birth of the Virgin Mary. And actually, His prophecy started back in Genesis 1. But if we get into the actual prophets, we're looking at 1,000 years before His coming. We can see it through the crucifixion, that He was crucified. That He was crucified, He died, was buried, and on the third day, He rose again. The resurrection is incredibly important, not just to the historicity of Christ, but to the person and work of Christ. Paul says it this way. If you got your Bible, we're gonna be, this is real quick. This is 1 Corinthians 15, verses 14 through 16. Paul writes, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain we are even found to be misrepresenting god because we testified about god that he that he raised christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised for if the dead are not raised not even christ has been raised paul is saying our faith is in vain if the resurrection didn't happen the tomb is empty We can confirm that Christ is God through the power of the Holy Spirit who He empowers and He transforms people. That He reconciles people to God. So we looked at a little bit of history. We looked at a little bit of Scripture. But we're also going to look at a little bit of testimony. This is all still under the category of agreement, of knowledge, of facts that are coming out. Oftentimes, when we're talking about empirical evidence, we want something hard. Man, I want, I want, give me something that's going to be legit, that I'm going to see, that I'm going to feel. That's what Thomas says, right? Thomas says, unless I put my hand in his hands, at his side, I will never believe. Well, we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But one of the other things that just is just as powerful is testimony. Well, how is testimony just as powerful? Every history class that we've been a part of is based on testimony. Believe, we believe, I don't know if you do, I shouldn't say it that way, people believe all weird things, right? I believe that George Washington was the first president of the United States, because that's what some book says, and Mr. Guzman in eighth grade told me that, (laughs) right? I've never met that guy, I don't know anything about him. And so it's not just through the testimony, but it's also through research. It's also through a bunch of other things that have been uh, culminated to teach not only this dude exists, but this dude was the first president. Right? Testimony is incredibly important. So, what's the testimony of Christ? The church. The church is the testimony of Christ. I'm not saying that we don't wreck it from time to time. You can Google failures all day long. Yet God, through the Holy Spirit, uses the church to proclaim his name. So testimony is significant. I mean, look at the Apostles' Creed. It's a testimony of what the apostles taught. That's why it's here. So belief consists of knowledge or it consists of agreement. Like, these are just minimum. And when we look at this agreement, when we look at this knowledge, when we look at this information, like, that's minimum of faith. So if the question is, man, do you believe? Like, technically, yes. Some of you may land here. Faith is nothing less, but it's so much more. The next thing that it consists of is trust. But that trust is a willing trust. It is an active dependency. And when I say that it is a willing trust, it is that we are cha- our will is challenged. What does Thomas say? Unless he's here, I will never believe. I will never believe. Thomas raises this question to you and me. Why are you unwilling to believe? That's the question that Thomas is raising to you. Why are you unwilling to believe? One of the other illustrations, one of the most common illustrations here, is that of the chair. If I hook you up with this, if I pull this chair up here, and I tell you all about this chair, it costs 35 bucks, uh, it's this brand, it's in this factory, I don't know anything about this chair. But I tell you all the things about this chair. I can tell you all about it, but until you what makes it one? What do you do? Y'all are sitting down. Don't question it, be like, oh, I don't know. What do you do on a chair? It's literally what you're doing, right? But it is one thing for me to communicate all about the chair. It is another thing for you to actually sit down on it, right? Faith includes a willing trust. So yes, it is agreement and it is a willing trust. And if it is a willing trust, that means you're making a decision. That means you are acting upon that information that you agree on. You're sitting down. And finally, faith consists of surrender. Faith consists of surrender. So we've looked at agreement, we've looked at trust, and we're looking at surrender. Surrender. I can't remember what movie I was watching. It's a long time ago. Anyway, uh, it's like a war movie, and one of the bad guys was uh, was surrendering to the good guys, and he goes on to say, uh, "This is my conditional surrender." And so what that implies is, "Hey, I will surrender to you uh, on the condition of these things, right? Like I don't know, whatever." He gives a couple of conditions. When we're talking about surrender based on John 20 we're not talking about conditional surrender let's go back up briefly 8 days later this is verse 26 his disciples were inside again and thomas was with them although the doors were locked jesus came and stood among them and said peace be with you then thomas or then he said to thomas now pause right there Remember what Thomas just said right before that, man, unless I see him and I put my hand on him, then I will believe. So check it. Verse 27, then Jesus says to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. So Jesus shows up. He meets Thomas where he's at. He challenges Thomas, and then Thomas answered, verse 28, my Lord and my God. what's not recorded that we don't know like we don't even know if thomas did even put his hand on jesus but upon jesus revealing himself and coming to thomas it everything dropped thomas went from not believing to believing he went from unbelief to surrender and his surrender we see a couple of things we see him worship jesus we see him revere jesus and we see him adore jesus my Lord and my God is one of the most, uh, oh, it's the easiest, yet it is one of the most profound confessions of faith. My Lord and my God. It is complete surrender before Christ. Faith, belief, consists of agreement, trust, surrender. Surrender. That's what it consists of. Those three things make up faith. Agreement, a willing trust, surrender. Let's keep going. We'll touch back on that in a bit. Jesus replies to Thomas, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is uh, what's known as a beatitude. Last summer, we did a sermon series on the beatitudes. Want to learn more about them? Go online. But Christ gives a beatitude, or he gives a benediction here. Blessed are those who have not seen and believe. I only want to answer one question when it comes to that. What does Jesus mean when he says that? What does Jesus mean when he says, blessed are those who have not seen yet believe? It's kind of a good question i think the word for blessed does not only mean happiness right i think i mean it certainly does imply that but that's that's not all there's a little bit more weight to the word blessed right the word for blessed does not only mean happiness but it does mean favor and acceptance from god Favor and acceptance from God. Check it. To be blessed is to remember. And here's the thing. Like, particularly in Christian culture and in Christian circles, everybody's saying that. Right? Man, I'm blessed. God bless you. All that stuff. That word, to be blessed, is to remember that we are accepted by God on the condition of faith alone. That's what it means. It's not just happiness, but that we have favor and acceptance from God, that we are accepted by God on the condition of faith alone and not our merit. As a result, our faith then is not a subjected kind of faith. It is actually a satisfied faith, but a faith that is satisfied through Jesus Christ belief in Christ has implications for the Christian. I believe is set upon a ton of conviction. It is not a statement of opinion, but a statement of conviction. Our faith has been satisfied for by Christ for us in tons of different ways. That we were once dead in our trespasses, that we were once children of wrath, but God rescued us That he has rescued sinners, reconciled them to the Father, going from children of wrath to adopted children by God. That we have, that sinners have been delivered from the wrath of God. We could say it this way, that Christ, the grace of God, has saved us from the wrath of God. That those who believe in Christ will never thirst again. That the thing that Jesus said throughout John, I am, I am, I am, that we will never thirst again because the desires of our heart have been satisfied by Christ. That as a result of what Christ has done for us, that the Holy Spirit is actually transforming us more into the image of Jesus. That as we are transformed more into the image of Jesus, we are pursuing the glory of God and not our own, not your own glory. That as the Holy Spirit transforms us in the condition of our heart, he is actually transforming us so that we would pursue Holiness, so that more and more people would come to know Jesus. There is a lot standing upon I believe. There's a ton standing upon it. And so, to move from skepticism to acceptance, from trust to surrender, is founded upon faith alone. In Christ alone. That's what it means when Jesus says, Blessed are those who believe and have not seen. And so it brings me to the final encouragement. And when it comes to this, I want to address three types of people. I don't know if you find yourself here or not. The first one is to the person who you're here, maybe you're not a Christian. And let me tell you this. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you're here and you're hanging with us. right? You might say, oh, this is the part where you tell me, like, repent. Yes, it is. I certainly want you to repent because I want you to know Jesus. Right? I want you to know Jesus. I want your heart to be desired by his work for sinners. Right? Totally. I want you to repent. And I want you to chew on something today, not tomorrow. I want you to chew on something. I want you to chew on the question that Thomas kind of raises, and that was the question of, why are you unwilling to believe? I want you to chew on that. Man, if I could walk with that, or if I could walk through that with you, I'd love to, but that's the question I got for you. Why are you unwilling to believe? Side note, when it comes to the will, or when it comes to capacity, because here, here's, here's what tends to be the challenge with a question like that. The challenge that, that the, the opposing person or you might have is, well, again, faith is something you either have or you don't. Faith is something for the Christians. No, 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 no. I want you to I want you to check on this. The will is not necessarily something. It's not a category. Um, let me say it this way. When it comes to the question, why are you unwilling to believe? It's a category of your will and not of your mind. It's the best way of saying it, I think. Don't worry about that Christian has it, these people do, blah. That's the question. Why are you unwilling to believe? Second person, we often call this category of people, I guess, whatever, the cultured Christian Christian. The cultured Christian, you might read the Apostles' Creed. You might even read your Bible from time to time. You might even have a clever hashtag on Instagram, and uh, and when it comes to this, the cultured Christian would agree with all this stuff. I mean, you maybe read through the Apostles' Creed and you're like, yeah, yeah, I get, I believe in that. We'll read through John twenty and you're like, totally. All right. But here's what I want to challenge. Believing that the gospel can transform you is different than actually allowing it to transform you. See, if you find yourself here in the category of the cultured Christian, here's my concern. My concern is that you see belief, right? We talked about it. Agreement, trust, and surrender, right? One more time. Agreement, trust, and surrender. My concern for the cultured Christian is that you confuse agreement for trust and surrender. And you actually haven't trusted. And you actually haven't surrendered. My challenge, my hope, is that you would move from agreement to trust And surrender. And when it comes to these two, whatever you want to call them, categories, the cultured Christian, maybe the person who doesn't believe in Christ, two questions tend to be raised, and I think they're good questions. And these two questions come from a conversation or a couple of conversations I had this week. The first one tends to be about hypocrisy Christians and hypocrisy. I don't know if I could believe all the Christians I know are hypocrites. Me too, right? Here's what I would say. Here's what I would say. The difference between hypocrite, the difference between a hypocrite and a Christian is that the Christian feels grief when they sin. That's the difference. A hypocrite, the word hypocrite, is someone who is on stage and acting. The hypocrite knows They're a hypocrite because it's all a stage act. The Christian may drop the ball. There yet. The Christian is going to drop the ball. The difference ought to be that there is grief that comes with that sin. That there is grief when we transgress against a holy God. There is grief when we actually transgress against one another that we actually do something when we sin against one another. That's the difference. So if you're concerned, man, I'm just going to be a hypocrite. Yeah. The question is whether or not you grieve your sin. That's the difference. The second one is doubt. which Again, both of these are really good questions. The second one is doubt. Man, I just feel like when it comes to belief or faith, everyone's just saying, just have more faith. Just have more faith. Just have more faith. I don't know if I could, uh, I don't know if I could do that. Man, let me just be straight up. Doubt is real. Doubt is real. I'm not, I'm not going to knock it, knock it. I don't think I could, uh, I don't know, for lack of a better word, I'm not sure I could survive off of someone just telling me, just have more faith, just have more faith, just have more faith. I think it would be really exhausting and I'd ultimately be, be beat up by it. But as a result, if doubt is real, how we combat doubt. How we combat doubt is by growing in our faith, and we talked about it: agreement, trust, surrender, by growing in our faith and understanding of God through the Word of God. The Word of God is going to convict me. The Word of God is going to counsel me. The Word of God is going to comfort me. So I want to grow through the Word of God. I want to grow through prayer, because in prayer, I'm going to find assurance. In prayer, I get to be brutally honest before God and through community, because I'm going to be challenged. I'm going to be sharpened That when it comes to things like accountability, that is a result. Accountability is a result. You're not going to find that word in Scripture. Accountability is a result of the confession of sin. Accountability is of me asking brothers and sisters to pray for me so that when they follow up with me, it's because of what I have shared. So doubt may be real, and there are other things that combat doubt. So that would be my final encouragement for the non-Christian, for the cultured Christian, and if you are the surrendered Christian, if you're like Thomas, you're like, "Man, my Lord and my God, I have surrendered. I believe." Next week, when we start reciting the Apostles' Creed, my encouragement, my uh, exhortation to you is to stand upon the condition. Uh, excuse me, stand upon the conviction of the phrase "I believe." Don't say it because it's the next part of the service. Don't say it just because it's up on the screen. Say it because you're standing upon the conviction of the Word of God. Say it because there's weight underneath that phrase. It's not just something someone wrote. There is weight that comes with that phrase that is rooted in the Word of God. And here's what I would close with. Belief or faith is not something you simply wake up with. It's not something out of reach in terms of your capacity, but it is a gift from God to anyone who would believe in Jesus Christ and repents of their sin. Let's pray. God, uh, when we talk about and when we talk about faith, whether we're listening or whether we are talking, I know it is or it can come across as something that is easier said than done. And so Lord, as we chew through the sermon from this morning, I pray, I pray really, I think, I think I pray three things. Number one, Lord, I pray that we would be brutally honest before you. I pray that we would pursue humility and come to you with brutal honesty about what we're thinking and about what we're feeling, about what's going on in our head. Number two, God, I pray That if this is an area that we're just struggling with and combating, that we would have the heart from the Father in in Mark 9, where he says, Help my unbelief. He says it with such a surrendering tone to Jesus. May we have that tone this morning. Help me with my unbelief. And finally, number three. As we come before you in prayer, may we come before you with confidence. That for those who do belong to you, they could come before you in confidence because of what Christ has done for them. They can come before you, Father, to receive grace and mercy, to be brutally honest, to cry out, help my unbelief. So again, Lord, I pray for brutal honesty. I pray for a surrendering tone. And I pray for confidence as we come before you. God, as we walk into a time of worship, or a time of offering, or worship through offering, through tithes and offering, God, I pray that this would not just be the next part of the service, but this would be a demonstration of our surrender. That we would give to you um, faithfully, cheerfully, and generously. That this would be for your glory and not ours. That this would be so that we would uh, continue to transform, that you would continue to transform us into the image of your son, Jesus. Holy Spirit, in this time, man, be at work in us. Additionally, Lord, we, we, we have a group of missionaries who are here this morning, who are inevitably, at some point, going to preach and proclaim this gospel that we believe in this week. Father, would you empower them through your Holy Spirit so that they would stand upon the weight and confidence of conviction that comes with the phrase, I believe. And that they are not going into this mission field by themselves, but that you are going with them and for them. And God, we thank you for this opportunity to worship you this morning. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.